Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Hey friends, it's Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, author, and mom of four. I have an amazing guest as usual for you today. We have Greta Eskridge. She is known on Instagram as Ma and Pa Modern. She is a wife and a fellow mom of four. I love see, talking to other moms of four. She's a homeschooler, a speaker, a connector of people, and a lover of nature. She is the author of Adventuring Together, How to Create Connections and Make Lasting Memories with Your Kids, and 100 Days of Adventure adventure, nature activities, creative projects, and field trips for every season. Greta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to spend this time talking with you. Me too. Well, being a mom of four is always an adventure every day. You know, you wake up and you never know what is going to come. But one of the things that I really loved about your book and just talking about adventuring together is that that's something that is really important to me as a mom. When my oldest was about seven, we actually gave her the option of having a birthday party or of having an adventure. And I did not know what she was going to pick. If I had to guess, I think I would have guessed the birthday party. But she didn't even think twice. She said, oh, I want an adventure. So my husband and I started a tradition of doing an adventure for their birthday instead of a party. And you know what? I have not looked back. It costs a lot less money, and it makes a lot of better memories. It's a lot less stressful. And I am just loving that adventuring. So where did you come up with the idea for adventuring together? Well, similar to you, I love being an adventurous person and just being with my kids in that way provides such a great space for making memories and really cultivating connection. And so to me, that was the ultimate goal is how can I create lasting connections with my kids? So I always say adventure is the vehicle, but connection is the goal. And the reason I chose adventure as the vehicle is because um, when, when I really started on the journey, I had three young kids. I was pregnant with my fourth and I just needed to get out of the house. <laughs> I needed to get away from, you know, sweeping up crumbs and worrying about nap time schedules and everything being so um, much of a routine, which is important when your kids are little, but also I needed some time carved out for spontaneity and for newness and just to be outside of our regular routine, because that helped me look at my kids in the eyes and just remember how much I loved being with them. And it wasn't always about making sure everything was checked off the, the, the to-do list and making it a priority. We decided to adventure every single week. Well, I did. They were little. They didn't really have a say in it. <laughs> um, oh, that's the good old days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But because we started it when they were so young, it just became, um, it became a habit and it became a habit that we loved. And it's something that I still continue to this day. And my oldest is 19, almost 19 now. So um, it's stuck because it is a great way to cultivate connections and to just enjoy being together. 
Well, I love it. And one adventure that parents are not ready for is protecting their kids from pornography. In my previous season on my podcast, you know, and in the chapters in my book on Behind Closed Doors, the episode on pornography was the most downloaded episode by far. I think parents are really curious about this, but it seems socially taboo to talk about. So Greta, how did you start your adventure of fighting <laughs> porn? Like, why is this so important to you? Oh, oh yeah. I'm, I'm so confusing to people. They're like, wait a minute, you write about adventuring with your kids and like camping and going to museums, and then <laughs> you're also fighting porn. How does this fit? But actually, I really believe that... Um, one of the best tools we can give our kids to reject pornography is to cultivate strong relationship with them. And so I always encourage parents, like there are a lot of things we can do to equip our kids to reject porn, but one of the best is to cultivate relationships. And so um, that's really where my desire to fight porn started. It started with um wanting to protect my own kids and um, to provide them with an opportunity to have a, a healthy sexual future. But what I found was, as I started to talk to other mom friends, is they were like, wait a minute, tell us what you're learning. We're afraid to read the books. <laughs> we, we don't know how to deal with this. Tell us what you're learning. And then the more I talked, the more I realized that moms, my fellow moms were hungry for this information and they just didn't know how to go about, um, learning about it and, and even opening up the conversation to talk to about it. They just needed someone to start the conversation. And so what began as me wanting to protect my own kids has grown into wanting to protect kids all over the world. And, um, it wasn't, <laughs> I would never say this was my first choice as a topic to become, <laughs> you know, known for, but at the same time, it has been an, an opportunity for me to step into healing and mm -hmm. hope for families and for kids and, um, even, you know, marriages that are hurting and God has really used it. So it has been an adventure, <laughs> unexpected, <laughs> but, um, I'm glad to be a part of it. I can relate to you so much because for me as a nurse and a professor, mainly what I speak into in a scholarly kind of way is human trafficking. And same thing, you know, and these two things intersect and we'll get to it, but never thought I would be known as the girl who is really, quote, into human trafficking, to which I have to say, I'm actually against it. Let's be careful with our words here. But we are talking about something that is really needed. And I saw you post not too long ago about the Surgeon General's advisory about 13 being too young for social media, and we both agreed. He missed pointing out the dangers of pornography. So what do you see from your seat as the dangers of that? What do you tell moms when you go out and talk about this in the community? Well, I think that, um, yeah, when I read that about this, I read that statement from the Surgeon General and what he had to say about the dangers of social media. And I was so glad that he pointed them out, but I did feel like he missed a critical piece, which was social media is rife with pornography. And if we're letting 
10-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 16-year-olds on social media, and we haven't prepared them for um, how to handle pornography exposure, which is going to happen if they spend time on social media, then we have missed um, a valuable opportunity to protect our kids and to help them make safe and wise choices. And if we pretend that pornography doesn't exist on platforms like social media where young kids um, are accessing pornographic material, then we're we're just missing such an important um, piece in, in not just protecting them in the here and now, but also some protecting them in the future. Because like I said, I, I want to set our kids up for a lifetime of sexual health and wholeness. And, and that starts from the time they're young. And it definitely includes talking to our kids about pornography, talking about what to do if they encounter it, but also helping them grow in their understanding as they age in what is problematic and what is dangerous about pornography, not just to them, but to others, like you mentioned with, you know, human trafficking and, and how they view their fellow human beings. There's so many different ways pornography can negatively impact the consumer. And we need to be talking to our kids about that stuff. So those are the kind of things that I encourage parents to, um, to learn about, to be aware of, and then I equip them with ways to actually do that. You know, I think a lot of parents are really afraid to initiate this conversation because they think, I don't want to put ideas in their head. I don't want to expose them to things that they haven't been exposed to yet. But that's kind of the point, is to talk about it before they have an exposure so they feel empowered to respond. I shared in my book, my daughter was in fifth grade the first time she encountered pornography, and it was through a classmate who had watched a YouTube cartoon video which had pornographic material embedded in it. Now, my daughter didn't see it, but the classmate described it to her in detail. And just having a conversation as simple as, hey— you may see things on the internet that make you feel really uncomfortable and like you're doing something wrong, and your body may even feel strange or weird in some way. When that happens, I want you to know you can come and talk to me about it because a lot of times what kids feel, I see Greta, is when they encounter pornography, even if it was completely unintentional and completely innocent, they feel shame. And especially if their body has a sexual response. This is so uncomfy, parents listening out there, but listen, you have got to speak into that and say your body had the right response in the wrong circumstance. So oh, I love that. Yes. What do you ha- what do you have to add to that? I think that that is so, so important for parents to share with kids. And I love that you're saying it because we as parents don't even want to think about our kids having a sexual response. Like we just want to just pretend that that is not even happening. Just like kids don't want to think about their parents, you know, having sex. Parents don't want to think about their kids in that way. But, but that is a natural part of, of growing up and, and it's God designed, God designed us as sexual beings. So, um, I love how you put it. Like your your body was responding correctly, but it was responding um, in the wrong place to the yeah. to the wrong thing. And and so I want to to help you understand what that was, and to be able to um, 
to direct you to the eventuality of you responding in the right way in the right place. Um, I think that helping kids understand that they may be curious after they see pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of times we don't want to say that as parents, we want to just be like, Oh, you'll see it. You'll be disgusted. <laughs> you will feel like it's yucky and, and you'll, run away and come tell me. But that might not be the case. Like you said, a lot of times there's immediate feelings of shame. And when we feel shame, we want to hide. Right. But that shame can be magnified if they do actually feel curious or if they're like, wow, that response that my body produced, that that felt good. And now I don't know what to do with it. So if we have the courage to be honest with our kids and to say, hey, if you see pornography, here's what you might feel. You might have questions and you might be curious and want to know more. And and if that's the case, I want you to to tell me and I will be the person to answer your questions. Don't go back to the computer and look for more. Don't go back to that person that showed you. Let me be the one to hold your questions and to hold your curiosity because that's my job. I'm here to help. I will be a safe place for your Mm -hmm. questions. Going back to the computer or to a person who showed you pornography they're not a safe place for your curiosity and your questions. Oh, I love that. They're not a safe place for your curiosity or questions. I'm stealing that, Greta. I think that is really good because the truth is it's not a question of if, but when they will be exposed in some way, form, or fashion along the continuum from mild to really extreme. But I think empowering them in that moment and putting safety rails in so they disclose early because because what we know about brain development is that their brain sees that as a pleasurable pathway and it will want to repeat it. And as it repeats, that pathway gets entrenched and entrenched and entrenched until you have you know, people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who find it very difficult to change their behavior. Well, I want to talk, Greta, about objectification. That's a big word, but you wrote a great blog post about it, including self-objectification. Tell us about what you wrote. Well, I really like to give parents tools to be able to talk to their kids about the various issues surrounding pornography. And of course, objectification is a huge part of pornography. And what I see is um, part of the problem with objectification is how it encourages us to see another human being as as an object, as a thing. And, And it strips that person of their humanity. And when a person is stripped of their humanity, it allows us to, um, to use them in a way that we wouldn't if we saw them as fully human. And so I think it's really important for kids to learn about the, um, the concept of objectification and um, to understand what it is so that they can hopefully reject it and not engage in that. Because it doesn't just, when, when we're in, in, when we see other humans as objects, it doesn't just impact us like intimately, like with that person we're seeing on the screen or um, our, our partner in an intimate circumstance, but it even impacts friendships and even interactions with strangers because we just begin to see all of humanity as people that are disposable. And so when I wrote that post, I wanted to equip parents with the tools to be able to talk to their kids at a young age. And then as they grow developmentally and to understand it in 
in different ways. And, um, it, because it's a topic that we just feel like, well, how do I talk to a, you know, a young kid about objectification? But I think if we begin giving kids the understanding of these concepts at, at a young age, then um, we're empowering them and we're not fueling their um, ability to, to behave in this way. Instead, we're educating them to help them understand what it is so they can choose another path. I think of it like a fire drill, you know, like if, if there's a, a fire, we're going to be able to respond so much better if we've practiced, if we've been prepared, we know what to do. And for our kids, that's what we can do by telling them like how to respond to pornography, what objectification is so that they know they're like, wow, I, I can see what's happening right now. This is what I'm tempted to do in this situation. And instead, now I know what's going on and I can choose to respond a different way. Well, and I think it can be easy to kind of grasp what objectification is and, and treating people as objects. But you also talked about self-objectification. How would you explain that to a teenager? Well, this is a tricky one um, because... Um, you know, in our, our climate of, um, post-purity culture and, um, helping young, like helping teens and young adults understand how to, um, present them, their bodies and themselves in ways that are, um, like that they can respect and honor themselves and others. Um, that's, that's a tricky place. And it can be a place where, you know, people get, people want a lot of freedom um, and want to be able to just do whatever they want. But I always encourage um, people to, like I said, to, to respond in a way that is, um, pursuing honor and respect of themselves and first, and then honor and respect of others, even when it comes to our own body and um, objectifying ourselves. And I, I see that there's a danger of um, putting ourselves out in a way, um, especially on social media, where we are focusing only on outward appearance and not on the heart and not on our brains and not on a whole person and, and considering like, what is our purpose of posting this picture? And, um, what is our purpose in sharing these parts of ourselves? And, and if you are sharing all of yourself as a whole person, then, um, that's wonderful. But if it's just about showing, parts of your body, um, in a way that shows that's all you are, then that's where you might need to step back and be careful and consider how you're presenting yourself to others and how you want to be viewed by others. And it's, again, it's such a tricky space, but if we look at the intent of respecting and honoring a whole person, 
then that's a good place to start. Well, and I think we always have to start with ourselves and look at our own speech that we use when we're looking at other people and our community and our friend groups or even on TV. I mean, I see mm -hmm. a lot of moms and daughters who may watch the Miss America pageant together or maybe are looking at an awards show and they're looking at the dresses that are coming. And if you really step outside of yourself and listen to the speech that's coming out, like, mm. oh, that's hideous. Oh, look at her right. hair. Why is she wearing that for her body type, you know? Yeah. Or or even, you know, and this is not just women. I mean, these are yes. this is across gender, right? That mm -hmm. we objectify people in that way and then we tend to view people as only an Instagram feed, like how many yep. likes did I get and for just a photo, you know? And that you're right, that is a tricky space. Another tricky space about this is pornography in marriage because what mm -hmm. I find is a lot of parents, it's really hard to talk to their kids about this because they struggle with it. Yes. And they just feel like hypocrites. Like mm -hmm. it just makes them feel sick to their stomach. And then they don't want to think about it because I don't want to think like, did I cause this? Did, did you know, my choice lead to your choice? And right. do you know? And usually that's so shrouded in secrecy. So what is your advice for tackling pornography in the context of marriage? Well, I mean, interestingly enough, I have found with speaking predominantly to parents about protecting their kids is that um, a lot of times that's the doorway into talking with um, husbands and wives about this issue in their own life. Because like you said, there's the issue of pornography is shrouded with so much secrecy mm -hmm. and shame that they might not come and to a talk or listen to a podcast or whatever, um, where the, the topic is, you know, pornography in your marriage or in your adult life, but every parent wants to protect their kids. And so they will come to that conversation. And so I remind them, like, you showed up for the conversation because you care about protecting your kids. So even if this is a struggle in your life, in your marriage, um, that doesn't take you out of the conversation of protecting your kids. You still have that, that obligation as a parent, and you still have that um, opportunity as a parent, no matter how pornography is impacting you in your life currently. In fact, I believe that because you know intimately how pornography has um, impacted you in a negative way, you are even more empowered and impassionate and, and hopefully even more emboldened to talk to your kids about it. Whether or not a parent chooses to, um, to tell their kids that it has been a struggle in their own life, that's a very personal decision and every mm -hmm. parent needs to decide that on their own. When their kids are young, especially, they might not be ready for that developmentally. Um, but I, I do think as our kids age, there is a beauty that comes from honesty and saying, hey, this is something that's really hard and um, it can be a struggle. It's something I've struggled with in my own life. If we have the courage to be able to share that with our kids, if that's our story, that can be a really connecting way for our kids to see that we aren't perfect holding ourselves up on this pedestal and saying, Hey, this might be a problem for you. And, um, and them feeling alone in it 
if we can say, I understand this can be a really, really big struggle. And I want you to know that I understand that struggle in an intimate way. That can be a way to bridge um, something that can be hard to, to deal with between a parent and a teen. Um, So I think that it can be a powerful tool, whether you choose to tell your whole story or not. But I, I always encourage parents that they do not have to be out of the conversation, even if pornography is something they've struggled with or are currently struggling with. It's so true. And I think that one of the important things to know is that pornography is not as it seems. And especially since COVID, we've transitioned from, I'll use the term loosely, professionally generated Mm -hmm. pornography to user generated pornography. And there is so much abuse and exploitation Mm -hmm. and non-consensual appearances that have that happened there. In my book, I tell the story of speaking at a conference and having a med student disclose to me that he watched pornography on a daily basis, just, and I quote, as any red-blooded American male will do. Mm -hmm. But he had encountered abuse of children on Pornhub, which if you are not familiar with, is basically social media for pornography. And he was very distressed because as a medical professional, he had made an oath to do no harm, Mm -hmm. but felt like harm was occurring there. And so I think that's something that we have to realistically look at and know that, again, the earlier we intervene, the greater chance your child has a chance of disrupting those neural pathways and not becoming as entrenched and difficult, and maybe their struggle won't be as hard as yours. Well, yeah. Greta, one of the things you talk about is having this this phrase alone is going to make people <laughs> uncomfortable, okay? So we're going to talk about it, having a porn plan. Do you yeah. have a porn plan? <laughs> what is a porn plan? Um, the reason I chose that name and I always tell parents because it gets kind of like they they chuckle uncomfortably like yep. what is wrong with this lady is, <laughs> is because it's a name that will stick with you and I always say you can change the name but you won't forget it and and I want parents not to forget it because I want them to know they they need to create a plan for their kids of how they will respond when they see pornography and ideally this would happen um before their kid is ever even exposed to pornography, that you tell your your young child, even the age of six or seven years old, because we know by that age, those kids are on screens and there is a chance that they could accidentally um, be exposed to pornography. But you say to them something as simple as, there's this thing called pornography and it's bad for your body and your brain and your heart. And it's my job to keep you safe from that. And so if you see pornography, here's what I want you to do. And then you go on and you give them a very, very, very simple explanation of what pornography is. Um, I like to say something like it's people um, with no clothes on showing their privates on videos or in pictures. And if you see that on a screen when you are doing homework for school or when you're playing a game on your tablet or if someone shows you on their phone here's what I want you to do. I want you to close the computer or turn off the tablet or tell the person, I don't want to look at that. And then you, you come find me or dad or another trusted grown up, And you say, I just saw pornography and then I'll help you. And so that is just the simplest way to give your kids 
the tools to respond as safely and quickly as possible to pornography exposure. That is the plan. They need a plan. Just like I said, the fire drill, you you need to know what to do ahead of time. And so that's, if your kids are really young and, and, um, you have the opportunity to start the conversation with them young, but for parents of older kids who might say, well, my kids, you know, 13, they probably already know what porn is. Maybe they've even seen it. It's too late. I I can't have this conversation. And I always say it is never too late for us to have the conversation Mm -hmm. with the kids. It just looks a little different. So if your kid's a teen, you can be really honest with them and say, Hey, I should have had this conversation with you before now but I didn't. And I'm, I'm sorry, but we are going to go ahead and talk about it right now, because I want to make sure that you know what pornography is and that you know that it's um, something that is harmful and it could hurt you as a viewer. It hurts, the, um, it hurts other people. And I want to make sure you know what to do. If you see it, I want to, to you to know what to do. If it's something that you are consuming right now, I want to help you. And so we're going to have a conversation about it. And with your older kids, you're going to give them more details. You're going to tell them um, some of the, some of the specific ways that pornography hurts their brain. It um, is bad for their body um, and socially how it can hurt other people so that they are equipped to understand what they're dealing with. And like I said, ultimately, Um, the hope is that they'll choose to reject it if it's something they're already using or um, it's something that they've been shown or will be shown. Well, if you want to know more about this, you can check out the chapters I've written on it in my book, Behind Closed Doors, A Guide for Parents and Teens to Navigate Through Life's Toughest Issues. You can find Greta on Instagram at Ma and Pa Modern, and she has a hashtag that's Greta Fights Porn, and you can see all of the things that she has posted there. And Greta, it's gone by so fast, but we've arrived at the end of our time together, and this is the question we ask every guest here. If you could give just one piece of advice to parents looking for hope in building healthy relationships, what would it be? Oh, gosh, I think I would encourage them that the thing our kids want most from us is our time and um, a place to create connection. So, so spend the time and create connections with them through simple things like, you know, going out for hot chocolate together every other week, having a donut date, going for a hike together, taking a class and learning a new thing. Um, Invest your time in your kids because it is the most valuable place where you can spend your time. And they, whether they're two or they're 12 or they're 20, they are longing for connection with us. They want it. So invest wisely and um, it will be so worth it. Well, thank you so much for that. I appreciate you being here and, uh, and thanks for all that you do, Greta. Thank you. I feel the same about you, Jessica. 
Well, this is definitely an uncomfortable conversation to be sure, but hang in there with me. Let's take this a little slow as we unpack this really important topic. It's time for Conversation Keys, where we explore health impacts and home strategies for relationship building with your teens. There's absolutely no other subject that makes parents shake in their boots and have shaky, sweaty trepidation than this one. Sex is not a secret thing, but it is a sacred thing, and we should adjust our mindset accordingly when talking to our kids. Porn exposure is not an if, but a when conversation. Consider these statistics. Most kids are exposed to porn by age 13, with 84% of males and 57% of females ages 14 to 18 having reported viewing pornography. One in eight porn titles describe acts of sexual violence, and at least one in three porn videos show sexual aggression or violence. One in four young adults list pornography as the most helpful source to learn how to have sex. People who consume porn are less satisfied in their relationships, less committed to their partner, and more accepting of cheating. We know this from research. And pornography ranks as the third most common form of trafficking reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Get ready to be stunned because Pornhub, which is social media for pornography, boasts nearly 42 billion visitors per year. With 50,000 searches per minute and 81 million daily average visits, it's estimated one year of uploads to Pornhub could fill the memory of every smartphone on Earth. If you really want to know, you can look at Fight the New Drugs report on most searched terms in porn. I promise you, if you are unaware of the content of today's pornography, you will be absolutely shocked. Now, before we start talking about how to respond to your kids, I want to re-emphasize this uncomfy fact. I know, it's so hard to even think Think about your teen's sexuality, much less talk about it, but you not only should, you must. Your teen's bodies will have a physical response when they see pornographic materials, intentional or unintentional. You need to lead them well in this space of conversation by saying something like, God created your sexuality. Your body had the right response in the wrong circumstance. You shouldn't feel ashamed or embarrassed. Your teen may have seen pornography in the LGBTQIA genre and wondered if this means they are gay or lesbian or another identification because of their body's response. They may even wonder things like, am I still a virgin? It's essential to lead them well in this space while sparing their dignity. When you find yourself in a place that starts creating secrets and sexual expression, that should be a bright red warning signal that something is wrong. Secrets can be incredibly destructive. It usually leads you to tell a little lie, and that lie usually starts with a deception about how you're spending your time. You start to look for time to cultivate your secret in the margins of your schedule. 
You start to create excuses that have a grain of truth in them. I'll be a little late at the office, or I was binge-watching a show, or so-and-so needed some help, but you know what is happening in the secret margins of your story, and you start to feel shame. You know you shouldn't, but the compulsion is so strong, and you find yourself saying, just this once, or this will be the last time, I promise. Only it never is, and then you feel worse, and guilt surrounds your heart like a vice, creating distance between you and your loved ones. And when people in your life start to approach your heart, that invisible barrier is like a vice grip. They can't see it. They don't know what it is, but they feel it, and it's very real. Sometimes you can't see them approaching because you are so concentrated on hiding your secret. Distance spreads like a cancer. And when you're questioned, you deny it. You accuse them of not trusting you. You deflect. You're dying of loneliness and guilt. And whatever the torture you're putting yourself through, it's not as terrifying as your fear of the shame of discovery. In some way, you feel the punishment of relational distances deserved. That little bit of hostility fuels your sense of justification and continuing to engage in unhealthy ways of coping, whether that's porn or drugs, an affair or eating or anything. We tell ourselves, they just don't understand. How can anyone live under this kind of pressure? And you enter this vicious cycle of destruction until you don't recognize yourself when you look in the mirror. You plant a seed deep in your soul that says, no one will ever love you if they know what you've done. That seed grows like a strangling vine until a double life becomes part of your identity. You accept a mantra of shame and present a facade of increasing perfection and justification to prop up any coping mechanism you have to prevent you from believing the truth you've adopted. I am worthless. Friends, that is an absolute lie in a self-imposed prison. It will destroy your soul like a cancer, and it will decimate your life and rob you of joy. This is the lie our teens believe when they watch pornography. If my parents only knew what I've done, they could never love me again. No one could ever love me. So, Listen in really closely. If your teen comes to you and discloses pornography, the primary emotion they are feeling is fear. Fear that you'll never be able to love them. Fear they will be canceled. Fear of their overwhelming sense of shame. What they need from you in that moment is unconditional love. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences, but parents, listen, the natural consequences of the destruction that occurs from pornography is often punishment enough. When your teens make a poor choice against their values, they often feel guilty. Guilt is a good thing. It's like touching a hot stove that sends a message to our brains to change our behavior and get out of danger. Shame is a destructive thing. It's like playing propaganda in your brain on a continuous loop, flooding your mind and heart with hopeless messages. Guilt is something we should recognize and embrace in parenting, guiding our teens to harness this impulse to evaluate our behaviors and choices at the first warning sign. 
Shame is something we should never wield as a weapon to manipulate behavior change or coerce submission. Listen to yourself for shame-based statements. How could you do this? What were you thinking? I can't believe you were so stupid. Choose grace-based statements instead. I know you feel badly about this. This is a tough place to be. Let's work together to find a way to make this right. I know it seems overwhelming, but how can we find hope in this situation? Here's your conversation keys, friends. Ask your teen, can you think of a time where someone showed grace instead of shaming you? How did that impact your life? Do you have an opportunity to extend grace and find hope in a way forward? This is definitely something to think about and pray about. Try it out and let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.